everybody, and welcome back to No Fate, a Terminator podcast where we cover any and all things Terminator. I'm your host, Michael John Petty. With me is Tanner Radwick, and it's been a little, uh, about a month since we last recorded, but, you know, life gets busy, and this is what happens, and uh, Happy New Year again. Tanner, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, and we are back, and we're... Uh... <laughs> we're still here and we're still having fun. We're still talking Terminator. Yes, we totally are. Don't worry, guys. If you don't hear from us for a little bit at any given time, chances are we will uh, be back. Unless we say otherwise on the show, we will be back. So just keep that in mind. Um, this week, we're going to be covering another episode of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. But before we get into that, um, Probably by the time this comes out, there will be a new edition of the Super Bracket Bros podcast. Um, Tanner and I were supposed to be on together. Things didn't really pan out that way, so it was just me on there with Jay and Eli again. And it was a lot of fun. It was the Terminator versus the Punisher, um, specifically the Punisher from the Netflix, uh, Marvel Netflix shows, the Daredevil and the Punisher series. So definitely check that one out. We'll be ta- Tanner and I will be talking about the results of that next week. Um, or next episode, I guess, whenever the next edition comes out. <laughs> um, we won't put a timetable on it, but definitely check that out. In the meantime, uh, if for some reason this episode drops before it comes out, well, now you have something to look forward to. But until, or be- but before we can get into our episode today, we are going to go through some of your fan mail because a couple of you guys have sent some stuff in in the meantime, and we love hearing from you. Um... Ryan Cutler has messaged us again, and he says, Hey guys, I just listened to you talk about The Crawl. For those who don't remember, we talked on our last episode about the idea of a whole episode of the Sarah Connor Chronicles being revolving around Cameron crawling without any legs. So I'm pretty sure this (laughs) is what he's referring to. Um, Mm -hmm. He says, Josh Friedman also talks about this on the DVD commentary. Again, with the commentaries. He said he has... He said he had to really talk Fox into it, but they actually approved it, and it was going to be done until the writer's strike. I believe he talks about it during the Samson and Delilah commentary, but don't quote me on that. He also says, hey, Michael and Tanner, I have a question that I hope you can answer. Do we know what model Cameron is? John asks in the pilot what model she is, but they never answer it. I've seen a few things online that say she's a T-900, not a T-888, like the other Terminators in the series. However, there is no information to back this up. Even the Wikipedia page for Cameron says T-900. It's a little confusing. I figured if anyone could figure it out, it would be you guys. I don't know that I can say definitively. Uh, I mean, Wikipedia says that it's a T-900. <laughs> yeah, so I actually kind of, I did some research because I read this read this email a little bit ago and I did some research to try and see if I could figure it out and it actually comes from a book called The Terminator Vault and it's on page 50 of this book um, I actually want this for myself it sounds like it really goes in depth on the franchise and the mod- different models and stuff which is cool and on it it refers to Cameron as a T-900 but not a T-900 as seen in Terminator 3 um, because there, I guess there were cameos of the T-900 in Terminator 3. Um, so, there you go. 
I, it comes from that official source. It's it's never said on the show. So if you're looking for that, it, it doesn't exist. There's no in-canon, in-universe reference to a T-900. Um, but there is a reference in this book. So page 50 of the Terminator Vault, go check it out. It's I think the section is called Terminator Taxider, Taxonomy or something like that. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, as, as for the crawl stuff, that's super interesting. I, uh, that makes a lot of sense that the writer strike would impact the show. I mean, we already know that there were less episodes made in the first season because of the writer strike. Mm-hmm. So it stands to reason that that would, uh, that would have affected something like that as well. Our next email comes from Dallas Bolin and he says, Hey guys, I recently found your podcast and I've been enjoying it quite a lot except for the bleeping of swear words. Come on. I've been watching T1 and T2 obsessively since I was four or five years old, and I'm 35 now. You could easily say that I've been that I've seen both a thousand times. They never get old for me, and I watch them at least a few times a year, along with rereading S.M. Sterling's excellent sequel novelizations. I even have the T800, Sarah, and Kyle tattooed on my left arm. Someday I'll think of a T2 tattoo worth getting. Anyway, I wanted to get, I wanted to ask if you'd consider having a fellow fan on the podcast. These movies are part of my DNA at this point, and I've ruined parties arguing with people over the details of the Terminator franchise and universe. I even used to ride my bike around <laughs> pretending to be Eddie Furlong running from the T-1000. Anyway, I'm loving these episodes as I'm going through them, and I would love to argue with you guys. <laughs> that's fun and i would love to see this tattoo also that sounds cool yeah send us the tattoo that sounds sweet um as far as people being on the podcast uh we'll see you know we'll see we we've been talking with a few guests obviously that we've wanted to have on the podcast and um and one of them we've already had on who's uncle casey from the t for two show and that's been really great um it's it could definitely be a thing in the future where we have have folks on the show so stay tuned for that um as far as you talking about the sequel novelizations those are actually some books that i've heard a lot about that i've really wanted us to talk about on the show for some time and obviously you know we had to get through the sarah connor chronicles and some of the video games and some of the other stuff we want to do first but Mm -hmm. down the road we'd love to talk about those novels because i've heard a lot of really good things um, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the T2 trilogy novels, the, those three, and uh, yeah, that would be uh, that would be really cool to cool to talk about. Maybe we'll have to have you on for that. Lastly, our good old buddy Noah Hegemeyer has reached out to us and says, "I do not know if it was mentioned, but Michael Bean was also in The Walking Dead." Thanks for the shout out on Facebook messages, and again, my apologies for going through there to contact you guys. It was before I realized you had put this together. <laughs> <laughs> when is Michael Bean in The Walking Dead? I might, is it, if it's later on, I guess I wouldn't have seen it. Otherwise, I don't, I'm I don't know. Brain. But that's interesting because there's, uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure Robert Patrick is in it now too. But then also, Tad, the step the foster dad is in it. He plays a big part in The Walking Dead because he's um, 
he works for the governor. He's one of those guys. Ah. So yeah. There's a few he's in, he's in season there. 11 of The Walking Dead, Michael Benis. Season 11. I have a feeling that's farther than I watched. Well, I think that's the last season, isn't it? Oh, is it? Yeah. I get that would yeah. It's definitely farther than I watched. But that's just more more reason for me to watch it now. That sounds cool. I know. I've been having the urge to rewatch all of it again too. Um speaking of Michael Bean, I I texted you about this, Tanner, but I recently listened to a alternate universe sequel of Alien Three. That oh, that's right. Anyone who loves the Alien franchise, you guys should check this out. If if the actual Alien Three movie really bummed you out um check out this one it's a alternate universe version of the events of alien 3 but it mostly stars hicks and bishop instead so ripley is kind of she's not not a part of the story but she's not really a part of the story um but ripley newt hicks and bishop all survive the events of aliens in this version and hicks and bishop specifically have to deal with another alien threat because of the events of that movie. Um, it's very good, very interesting. They did a comic book version. They did a novel version. And there's an audible original audio drama that features Michael Bean and Lance Henriksen again in it. And that's what I listened to it recently. And it was very good. It was very well produced. It definitely leaves a lot to the imagination, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a cool story. I, You know, I, I don't really love Alien 3, so having this alternate version I think is really fun. I think there's a bunch of different interesting alternate versions out there. Um, but this is the one I think I've liked the most so far. So definitely check that out. If you guys are interested in that, it's fun to hear, hear them back as those characters after so long. Yeah. Well, and Lance Henriksen especially has such an iconic voice. It's too. true. It, it's so cool that they were able to get him to, read along with that it that it would be hard to envision anyone else in that role mm-hmm. just hearing their voice from an audiobook so that's cool that they were able to actually make that happen and you said it's very 80s too isn't it it's very <laughs> 80s the end is well what it reminded me of the very end reminds me of rocky 4 where rocky kind of makes this whole speech about sides having to you know america and russia having to come together to like end the cold war and like stop you know it, it kind of reminds me a lot of that because bishop has a has a kind of soliloquy at the very end that is is sort of reminiscent about that where he's mm-hmm. like maybe all of the sides of humanity need to come together and fight this alien threat and realize that we're not each other's enemy. It's very good. It's it's very interesting. And as you said, Lance Henriksen's voice is so just gripping that it's so fun to hear him play this character again. I mean, he, he even does some narration work at the beginning and the end of it too. And so it's fun to hear him in this role. It's, it's probably his most famous role would be my guess. And I say that as a huge Millennium fan. So... Mm-hmm. Now, spoiler alert a little bit, but does Wayland make an appearance in this book? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. He might He might in one of the other, um, in the comic version or the novel version. Okay. Um, but in the audio drama version, which I'm assuming they're all the same, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, he doesn't show up. The Wayland-Yutani company is obviously mentioned, but there's another faction that you find out exists. So Wayland-Yutani represents like, 
one side of Earth's government, and the there's another side called the like the progressive something side, and they represent kind of like more communist, like China or Russia or like that side of sure. the Cold War equation. It's very interesting. So you kind of get more mm. of those politics. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's super cool. Super, like I said, very 80s in a lot of way, very Cold War inspired, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, sounds fun. I'll check it out. Um, our last little message we got comes from Khalil who responded to our Spotify Q&A. So for those of you who don't know, on our Spotify page now under our new episodes, we'll release a question every week that you can thus respond to and we'll, we'll talk about on air. And our question on the last episode was, what piece of Terminator media are you hoping to see us cover in 2023? Um, hopefully we'll be done with the Sarah Connor Chronicles this year. That's our goal. We have, after this episode, we have seven episodes of the show left to talk about. We're very excited. Um, but we're also excited to talk about other Terminator-related things, too. So, Khalil says Terminator Resistance, which is a huge... That's one everybody wants, so that may be one of the first episodes we do once the Sarah Connor Chronicles right. unit is finished. And yeah. the Annihilation line, which, I, from what I can tell, is a DLC pack to... Terminator Resistance. So it's a specific story oh. within that. Well, yeah, I might have to look at that. I think I missed that. So I'll I'll buy that and beat that one too. Great game. Can't wait to talk about it. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot, a lot of fun. So, Tanner, with that said, maybe we should jump into the episode. Get into it. I like it. Okay. All right. Uh this week we are talking about the 15th episode of the Sarah Connor Chronicles Season 2, Desert Cantos. It has a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, a, a straight up 7. And the description reads, Sarah attends memorial service for Kathleen Weaver's victims at the supposed heating and air conditioning plant to search for answers and find a connection to Skynet. Um, so this was one of those episodes we talked about this. Um, we've talked a couple of times about rewatching this series and kind of forgetting certain parts of the episodes and certain plot lines. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. was an episode where I was watching it, and honest to goodness, Tanner, I didn't remember any of it. Any of it? The only thing I remembered was the very end with the drone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's all I remember. Uh, <laughs> so I, I felt yeah. like I was watching it with fresh eyes <laughs> for the first time. That's fair. And, of course, you watched this episode before I did, and you talked to me a little bit about it. And I was on the phone with you. I was I was trying to rack my brain too. I was like, I have no memory of this episode. <laughs> what the heck happens? As, as soon as um, once I started watching it, I started to remember a little bit, especially like the the surveillance things later on, kind of came to mind. Mm -hmm. But um, it's an interesting one. When I was watching it, it it's interesting in the sense that it feels. Uh, there's not much Terminator stuff happening in yeah. this episode. Mm -hmm. It could kind of just be like its own mystery show. It, or it could be any episode show. of any TV show, really. 
Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't oozing Terminator, but it. But that's not necessarily a bad thing either. I think this episode is really fun, and and uh, and we get more John in this episode, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's a different flow, though, since it's not so focused. We don't even see John Henry in this episode. Um, Cameron doesn't really have any fight scenes in it. Um, neither does Sarah, for that matter. Uh, there's not really conflict in this episode so much. It's much more of a detective work. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. I mean, for one episode, I kind of like that. I think if that were to go any further than that, it would feel not disingenuous, but it, it just wouldn't feel like the show. Mm-hmm. And so, and because there's still a conspiracy element, it still feels like a Terminator show to me, even if it, even if we don't get any Terminators. Um, yeah. So I think that that's really interesting too. Yeah. I, I like it. I like this episode a lot. I think it, I think it deserves the seven. I don't think it necessarily deserves anything higher than that, but I also don't think it deserves anything lower. I, I think it's, I think it's a solid episode of TV. I know we've been criticized by some of our listeners for not giving episodes higher ratings. Um, but the reason we do that is because I, you know, seven is not a bad rating. You know, it's a, no. it's a solid rating. This is a good episode of TV. Technically things were proficient. The acting was superb. The writing was good. I mean, there was nothing bad about the episode on its own right that's why it's a that's why it's a seven when you give something a nine or a ten or even an eight and a half it's because it was outstanding and i wouldn't say this episode was outstanding Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i would say it was good um and i don't think we've given very few episodes lower than that and so um i think that's true of the sarah connor chronicles in general i think it's a good show is it always outstanding no but is it sometimes absolutely um, this episode is not one of those episodes and that's okay because every episode can't be, um, mm-hmm. no matter what show you're watching, you're always going to have an episode. I mean, you have something, even you, you think of the stranger things and there's this episode in season two where it takes you fully out of the plot and you're following 11 as she goes to Chicago and deals. And it's like, is it a good episode on its own? Sure. Does it feel very out of place? And is it frustrating maybe when you're wat- binging it? Yes. Do I think it's outstanding? No, but it's good, you know? And so yeah. is it one that maybe I would skip if I'm bitching it again? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but it's but it's a good episode. And so I, I think that this episode kind of falls into that category as well. Yeah, I'd agree. It's the, it's the difference between an enjoyable episode to an episode that actually, uh, I guess, does something profound or something that surprises you or just sticks with you you know yeah um there's not much i can criticize about this you know no i but there's nothing in it that like blows me away either no i I agree super gripped yeah yeah i i think the only thing that comes close and I think it's super unique and I really like it is this whole reveal that the um, that the McCarthy family, like their basement, has this big 
like bunker basically with all these computer monitors surveilling the whole town and all these people and just this idea that these normal everyday average people have been turned into contract killers i think that that's really interesting and it definitely leaves a mark you know it leaves an impact i think but it um but compared to a lot of the other revelations on the show it's kind of small potatoes but that doesn't make it any less powerful for this episode Yeah, I'd agree, and especially because it's coming from the, the from the point of view of family members seeing their family members do these things, right? So there's, you know, while these things aren't necessarily super shocking in the world of John and Sarah, from the point of view of these ordinary people thinking that their family is a part of, you know, maybe something a little shady, but nothing, nothing murdery, you know, right mostly just secrecy for government's sake right um so that part that part's interesting and the stuff with john and this girl too is is fun also anytime you see john like trying to break out into some normalcy yeah with his peers yeah is fun to watch and uh you and of course getting in trouble too you do get some heart flutter feelings when this cop is coming up on them because <laughs> the guy, the kid in the driver's seat is not moving. Yep. Well, and with that too, you're obviously afraid for John because the authorities and John don't really mix. And yeah. you're like, Oh no, he's going to get caught and Cameron's going to kill this cop. <laughs> and luckily none of that happens, but you see the potential for it immediately. Totally. And also, to be uh, man, I don't think John should have pulled that kid out of the driver's seat and got himself in there because <laughs> no, I think that made it more suspicious. That made it way worse. And had the cop pulled them over, then then all of a sudden John would be the one getting questioned. Where if if he was in the back seat not driving, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think he made a tactical error. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, I really did like that moment though between John and Cameron where they're kind of analyzing Zoe and Cameron's like, she's not crying. Isn't that weird? And John's like, yeah, no, she's not doing a lot of things. And it's like, it makes sense that Cameron would point this out. She's a machine and she's like analyzing people. Right. And so she's trying to figure out what makes people tick. And when they don't do what you expect them to do in a certain scenario, that seems like a red flag that that sets something off in her in her processor but for john to read human behavior that way um i think is a lot more is a lot different and i think again we're we're getting closer and closer to john becoming this leader of the human resistance type figure who understands how to motivate people but also uh when something is wrong and in a future where there are human collaborators to skynet as we even see here in the past, I mean, a lot of the people in this town who died were human collaborators with Skynet in a sense, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's an invaluable skill. And so I really liked that. Mm. I love how they keep giving Cameron this humanity more and more uh, throughout the show. Um, mm-hmm. But they get to really take their time with it. Uh, in T2, of course, Arnold's character, they didn't have the, they 
they didn't have that much time to really let it sink in. They but they make good use of it. But getting a show to fully flesh out and explore just a little bit at a time and little drips here and there of Cameron becoming more human is really fun. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's funny in this episode how you talk about she's picking up on these nuances of grief more so than Weaver is in yeah. this same episode, right? Because, yep. of course, in the Weaver plot line, it's the anniversary of her husband's death. So everyone in the company is kind of uh, – paying their respects by what they're wearing and maybe tiptoeing a little bit, but she's very much, she doesn't care, right? Because she's a Terminator at this right. point. She doesn't, she doesn't know how to, how to pretend to grieve. It doesn't even occur to her. And she starts to pick up on that a little bit, that it's odd that she's not grieving when she's talking with Ellison. And, um, it's so funny seeing her kind of struggle through, identifying that and talking with her daughter also. And she's so much less human than Cameron is at this point. Sure. Well, I think that's an interesting design flaw in the T-1000 model of Terminator is that they're better infiltrators in that they can look like anyone, right? And I think because of that, Skynet designed them in a way that they don't learn in the same way, maybe. So whereas the T-800 and the T-900, like Cameron, or even the Triple-8s have to really understand human behavior in order to blend in, mm-hmm. the T-1000 can change appearance like that. Like, they don't even have to think about it. So blending in isn't the issue as far as physically. But there's this emotional component that the uh, the older models had to kind of go through because they couldn't just change their appearance. If they were outed, they were outed, right? Sure. And so for whatever reason, it seems like Skynet failed to replicate that with the T-1000 and T-1001 model series. It's just a very interesting design flaw. It, do, it, it, it doesn't seem and, like Cameron should be more advanced in that way than Weaver, and yet she is. Mm-hmm. Well, and, think, and their goals are very different also, right? So right. this T-1001 Weaver... Um, is very much uh, her goals are kind of her own in a sense. She has a grander picture in mind of what she's working towards, but she's also kind of operating a little bit selfishly, right? Sure. For her own goals. Sure. Um, in a different sense than a infiltrator is, I mean, also acting selfishly in a sense that it's trying to accomplish its own goals but it's not for its own needs right Mm -hmm. um so the way weaver is interacting with people is much uh, very machine-like in just trying to get to the end goal and she's also in a position of power too running this company so she doesn't do uh she doesn't feel like she has to um be at the whim of anybody in the same way that maybe an infiltrator would have to work with people sometimes to get what it wants. Right. Absolutely. No. And that makes a lot of sense. I didn't think about it that way either in terms of the power dynamics. Um, because you're right, you know, there's plenty of CEOs and heads of companies and, bigger uh, officials within companies and even politics who can kind of disregard people 
and kind of push them aside or push them around because of their position of power. And obviously the T-1001 understands that. And so (laughs) it doesn't even have to think about the emotional component except when to hide its own existence, specifically from someone like Ellison, who she knows, knows about Terminators, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think Weaver would have thought twice if anyone else had asked her questions about her husband's supposed death. Well, he is dead. But because it's Ellison and because he understands the artificial intelligence, he knows about Skynet, he knows about Terminators, he's in this world... Uh, there's a different level of infiltration that she needs to to achieve and to attain. So it's a really interesting way to look at it. And you can't help but think uh, in this journey with Ellison, at what point is he starting to question what Weaver is also, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's such a huge ac- accusation that I don't think he's like fully bought into it. But even just in this conversation that he has with Weaver uh, this time, when she asks him to leave the room, you can't help but wonder when he's looking at her and he's very confused by her behavior, right? There's got to be a part of him that's like, is she? And then he probably dismisses it, right? right. He's like, no, nah, that's crazy. <laughs> well, he's probably just like, it's just the grief. Like she's a different person because of grief. And that happens. You know, people do change because of grief. Um, In fact, grief, I would say, is one of the most powerful motivators of change that a human being could go through. Um, Yeah. You know, I think there's enough stories to prove that. I think there's enough people in our lives to prove that. I mean, um, especially the longer you live. And so Ellison changed as a person because of the grief of losing, you know, his unborn child and his wife, right? And yeah. so he understands what that means to lose a spouse in that way. And even more so than Weaver does, he understands what it means to lose a child. And so I think that he probably just writes it off as that. What's interesting is Savannah, who is obviously grieving, um, because she doesn't have someone to share her emotions with in that way, because Sherman is dead, she almost kind of, feels robotic at first Mm -hmm. until Weaver kind of gives her the attention that she needs and, and is sort of there for her. It's, it's just every time we watch it, Hannah's like, Oh, it's just so sad. This little girl just has a robot for a mom. It's so sad. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's devastating. It's so sad. Yeah. Well, and there's probably some kids who feel that way about just their regular human parent who's absorbed totally. in their corporate job also, right? Like, <laughs> Right. Or in grief. Pro- probably not. Or in grief. Yeah, it's not that far off, actually, from what some kids go through, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But, but I really did like the stuff with Savannah. It was interesting that she didn't mention that Weaver's uh, skin was cold again. Do you remember she mentioned that before, that her mom's skin was cold? Um, I, th- I don't remember when it was. I think it might have been the episode with Dr. Sherman, the first one. Um, but it wasn't she, mentioned again here. Oh, she she mentions it when she sits on her lap. She says, your lap is cold. Oh, you're right. And, and Weaver says, I know. 
Oh no, you're right. Um, but it's it, yeah, it's a it's a fun interaction. Just how awkward Weaver is in trying to the idea of a of a Terminator trying to reluctantly parent, um, with the goal of blending in, not even for the well being of this kid, you right. know. And uh, and it's so awkward. Weaver repeats the story that Ellison tells her about his relationship with his father when he, when his father died. Yep. And it's very much the kind of thing you say to another adult, right? It's not something you say to a kid, but she just repeats it hoping that this child is going to understand and relate and find yeah. comfort. And it doesn't work at all. No. <laughs> no. But I, I do like that they bring Savannah back. Um Obviously, she becomes a, a little bit of a bigger part in the next couple of episodes, in the final episodes of the series. Um, and so it's nice that there's this continuity of she exists. And it, of all the episodes to bring her back, an episode where it's the anniversary of her father's death, I mean, it makes the most sense. Yeah. I'd say so. There's this line, there's this little exchange between Cameron and Derek that I really love in this episode where they're at the funeral and Cameron says native Americans believe that when their picture is taken, their souls are stolen and locked (laughs) in the photograph forever. And Derek's just like, I think you're safe. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's too funny. And Cameron just doesn't understand the diss, but it's so funny. (laughs) Also, I'm sorry. They show up to this funeral in normal clothes. I was gonna mention that. What? They're like not. You're trying to blend in. in. What? Yeah. John has like a military jacket on, and Derek looks like a biker of some kind. Well, and... Weaver's guy—I <laughs> I don't remember his name—but he—he's going around this funeral looking for something suspicious, and I'm like, they're the suspicious ones. It's them. Yeah. Look at the, yeah. like Derek, especially. He's so suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> it's so odd. Yeah, it's funny. Um. But yeah, by the end of the episode, we find out that George McCarthy and Ed Winston, who's the guy who Sarah murdered, um, they have been killing people in this town who have been mm-hmm. either trying to leave the company or become whistleblowers or whatever it is. And you find out that whoever's behind, you know, Charm Acres, they're kind of ruthless. And it doesn't this is where it gets weird because we still don't know is Weaver really behind this or is someone else really behind this? It still feels like it's Weaver because she sends her goon in to clean things up. Right. Right. And so, and there's a UFO and there's a UFO. Yeah. You find out that that drone is real. It's not just in Sarah's head. Um, and the only scene that I remember from the episode I don't, however, remember it going to the semi and the guy putting it in the truck. That part I didn't remember. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, Yeah. I feel like it would have been really easy to leave that plot line be, but I'm really glad that the drone plot line does come back before the show ends. Because 
I, I feel like I said, I feel like it'd be really easy to be like, oh, well, that was just a one off thing, you know, on the way to developing Skynet. Anyway, let's move to this thing now. Yeah. Um, And the show sort of does that, but not really. Uh, yeah. I mean, the show kind of does that with a few things, it feels like. So it feels like it could very easily do that with the drone again. And for a second there, I was trying to rack my brain. What happens with this drone? But I kind of remember now that you mention it. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get there. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sick reveal. <laughs> mhm. But uh, I think that was about it um, for this episode. I I do like this idea that John is trying to blend in while also is trying to help and figure out if his mom is crazy and if Skynet is in this small desert town. I, I, It's fun seeing him play so many different sides where he's like trying to be a normal teenager but also still on mission. It, it's it's kind of a complicated thing. Um, Sarah's relationship with the widow of Ed Winson is very interesting too. Um, yeah. Super weird that you would go and insert yourself into this person's life. Um, and I think Sarah recognizes it's weird, but she's like, I don't know what else to do. So this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And she's having to deal with Simone guilt on her side too, from killing someone finally. Right. Um, even though it was necessary in the moment, uh, as far as John goes too, I thought, I thought it was interesting. This is another moment where we see some growth from John in kind of taking, the initiative on a lot of stuff also. Yeah. Uh, even, even going as far as to kind of like somewhat threaten these yeah. two women, yes. right. In the basement kind of quit clacking his gun to get more info. And that's kind of something that would normally be at the beginning of this show. You'd see Sarah doing, and then he would like reluctantly be like, no mom, what are we, what are we doing? Kind of thing, you know, in the background. But now he's very much like, charging ahead for the info that he needs and you know just one more step towards becoming future john that he talks to cameron about right right i also like the small moment between sarah and Derek where she calls him reese and he, yeah uh he's like maybe you need to let kyle go and she's like maybe you do and then walks away <laughs> and i'm like how yeah. old are we five <laughs> yeah she's like, moody no you <laughs> no you <laughs> walks away. He gave him the Uno reverse card. <laughs> uh, but I, but in all seriousness, I really like that moment. Um, I thought, thought it was neat to continue that off of the last episode. Um, you know, this whole thing right. with Kyle, it didn't just die in the water there. It, it, it's carrying over into her actions and into her speech. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I think that was about it. I don't think I had any other thoughts on this episode. No, no, I'm sorry. I was pretty straightforward for me. Uh, I don't know that I have much to add. Well, did you, (laughs) you didn't say, did you agree with the solid seven rating? Seven is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Perfectly acceptable. I agree. So to end this episode with a little bit of a downer, I had my mother-in-law tell me this weekend that she really liked Dark Fate. 
Oh no. And I was like, I'm sorry. No, why? <laughs> Yikes. No, I you know, I I get why uh she liked it. We we talked about it a little bit and um I under I understood some of the things that she liked about it. Um mm-hmm. I think a lot of the things she liked about it are obviously done better on the Sarah Connor Chronicles and maybe mm-hmm. even some of the other sequels, which I think is interesting. Um which I think if she were to watch some of those things, that would maybe change. But yeah, I had to, I had to give her a little bit of a hard time on the show because I was like, ooh, my I think my least favorite one. I don't know. It goes between that and Genesis. Right now, it's my least favorite one. So remind me, has uh, has Hannah seen Dark Fate? Yeah, remember we saw it in theaters, all of us. Because I know she hasn't seen three. Right. She hasn't seen three Salvation or Genesis. Okay, so she hasn't seen those. So okay, so the only sequels that she's been exposed to is the Sarah Connor Chronicles and Dark Fate. Then okay. yeah, which both ironically have been <coughs> influenced by uh, Josh Friedman, the creator of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, because uh-huh. he also worked on the story for Dark Fate. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see since she's gone into it kind of the reverse of what everyone else has seen. I'm curious what she'll think of three, and Salvation, mm-hmm. having having seen Dark Fate and uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to sit her down and and watch it. We've been watching. Uh, I told you this. We've been watching Friday Night Lights recently, and we're like crack addicts. We have to stop ourselves and only watch one episode a week now. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Has nothing to do with Terminator, but if you love uh, love good drama, Friday Night Lights. It's not all about football, folks. I <laughs> thought it was gonna be, and it's really not. So, yeah, there you go. But uh, I think with that, unless you had any other thoughts on anything, Terminator or otherwise. No, that's the episode, folks. Do 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 do. Anyway, if you wanted to contact us for any reason, whether it's to leave your thoughts on this week's episode or any other thing, Terminator, you can contact us through our website, nofatepodcast.com. We have a contact form there that you can fill out. goes directly to us. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at nofatepod. That is at nofatepod. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, which is the same as iTunes, Audible, Amazon Music, and pretty much every other podcast platform. And we are happy to hear from you guys. So definitely leave a review on any of those platforms if you would be so kind. We'd really appreciate it since we've switched over from our old podcast provider to our current one, Anchor. We've lost some of our reviews, uh, whether that be five-star reviews or actual written reviews. Uh, We'd really appreciate it. So if you guys could leave some that for us that so tanner with that said if you are listening to this you are resistance